Welcome to Productivity Mastery. Stoy here, a productivity and performance coach on a mission to help businesses and people get the most out of their time. On this podcast, I'll bring you exceptional performers and together unlock what it takes to perform at your highest level. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this episode. Hello, everybody. My name is Toyn. I'm a productivity coach and a co-author of Perform the Unsexy Truth About the Startup Success. And I'm here today with my co-author, Cristobal Alonso, CEO of Startup Wise Guys. And we have two exciting guests joining us from Spain and from Panama. And before we actually continue with the discussion about uh, today's topic on mental toughness, I would like to give you guys short uh, time 47 seconds to introduce yourself shortly and share with us who is here today uh, what have you done what are you doing these days starting with you andrew sure so uh andrew tarvin i am as far as i know the world's first humor engineer uh that's based on me googling the phrase humor engineer i guess uh, if you're like i've never heard that phrase before it's because i made it up and uh, essentially, it just describes what I do, which is to uh, help individuals and organizations solve workplace challenges using humor in the workplace. Thanks. Luis? Hello, I'm Luis from Madrid. Uh, well, last year I was 50 years old, so I have a lot of story to, to, to tell. No, but uh, I'm mostly like a mix between designer and consultant. So I'm a, when I'm the business part on a I'm a good designer, but what, uh, but a bad consultant. And when I'm working in the design part, I'm a good consultant, but a bad designer. No, so I'm in kind of a I'm in middle ground. No, and I've been working in Accenture until this this, this January, and also before that in Fjord, which was acquired by Accenture. So I helped it to to put all the creativity, all the ways of working on the creative innovation and and, and things like that into the a big corporation like 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 Accenture. No, so at the moment what I do is moving from the creation creation of, of things to to make them big and and then move to another thing so i'm in the transition now right christopher for the people who haven't met you before maybe a short introduction for you as well is that even possible um, call me mr humble uh, yeah 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 of course uh, i'm christopher alonso uh, as you might have noticed by my accent and estonian no but i'm celebrating estonian independence tomorrow and we're very proud in our Baltic Republics of that. I'm the CEO of Startup Wise Guys, the most active accelerator in, in Europe, co-author with, with the Stoyano Perform, Spanish by birth, basketball lover, love to cook. I'm very, very uh, happy to be discussing mental toughness today. And that was 43 seconds, so I should stop here. Fabulous, fabulous. Thank you guys for short, straight introduction. And today the topic uh, is mental toughness, as the gents just shared. We would love to hear some questions from you guys. So if you're watching us live on LinkedIn, on YouTube, or on Facebook, post your question and we'll try to, to get as many questions and, and explore the topics of mental toughness. So let's uh, let's begin the discussion. Andrew, you've been working a lot with, uh, with humor, with fun. Actually, I'm curious, why did you, did you start doing this? I mean... Previously, you've been part of Procter and Gamble, a corporate. Uh, is it is it actually needed for companies to learn how to use humor in the workplace? Uh, is it needed? I mean, I get there's plenty of companies that are awfully boring that 
uh, have some modicum of success, but I think one is generations change in terms of how they work. Younger generations more and more are looking for, uh, you know, not just a paycheck, but also exciting work. And to answer your question of how I came to this, uh, I remember being in this meeting at PNG at Procter & Gamble when I was still there. That was so boring. It was one of those ones that was like so boring you wanted to cry levels of boring. I don't know if you guys have been in uh, a meeting like that. And the problem with this particular meeting was that I was the one leading the meeting. And I had this realization where it's like, wow, if I'm bored while talking, the audience has to be bored while listening. And I had a bit of this existential crisis where I was like, this is the rest of my career, right? Is boring meetings going into way too much email back into boring meetings. And I was talking with a friend of mine and he was like, you know, Drew, you, you love to solve problems. So why not solve the problem of boredom? And uh, it's true. Like I love, so I'm an engineer by background, uh, have like, did, I do Sudoku and Ken Ken and all that kind of stuff for fun. Like, I don't think of them as math problems, but math opportunities. Like I love solving problems. And so uh, I decided to solve the problem of boredom and, and I brought in what I was doing in improv and standup because I'd started doing improv and standup at university. And ultimately realized that I was getting better results when I did that. It helped me to work with the hardest resource I ever had to manage, which was other humans. And uh, so that led me down this path to discover all the benefits to humor, which of course, you know, we can talk about in the, the framing of mental toughness, but it was basically this kind of through line that, you know, we even kind of share in the, the book, uh, Perform, is that what gets fun gets done. It's a simple kind of concept, but uh, I do believe it to be true. Luis, you wanted to add something? Yes, yes. Well, uh, we have a saying. One colleague of mine, uh, Juan Llaneza from Fjord, we say that have fun and money will run, uh, and it happens. No, uh, we used to work in a we call it the pirate ship, which is like we were like a moving of track of the strategic plan, and we always get a lot of opportunities because I think we were enjoying the the the, the work, and also the the, the clients felt it. No, so so they wanted to work with us. No, they felt that there was something special. Um, when I was building other teams and companies coming from design, you are more like you typically connect with people, no? Because you talk, you're not talking about numbers, which some, somehow they close your, your brain into a linear mode. If I do this, I'll get this in, in, in return. But also, you have more explorative, more what if, no? No, this is why and what and how, whatever. No, it's the what if, what if we do this and that, no? So, so the people, since they see in your eyes that you are enjoying the moment, no? Uh, the people, somehow they want to make business with you. Uh, and as I said, many times they don't understand what you do. They like it, they can't explain what we do, but they, hey, I want to try to do something. Obviously it's less risky than having a big, huge systems integration, but obviously the people, I think they need in the companies, they need people that make them have fun, feel creative and, and, and get out of the routine. No? And, and, and more or less what I do in, in most of the companies, trying to create this alternative space where you can create something that is new because people feel safe and creative. No? And a lot of the main principles behind performance actually for us to be able to create a culture where we have space where people can perform it at their best, basically. And I want to actually read the the definition of mental toughness we also using in the book. So mental toughness is defined by the ability to consistently perform toward the upper range of your talent and skill, regardless of competitive circumstances. 
So what uh, what are some of the stressors? And these are questions to you, uh, Christopher. You've been working with uh, many, many startup founders. What are some of the biggest stressors, um, challenges that startup founders are being faced with? Well, I got the easy question. God damn. No. Shit, man. Uh, boom, you know, summarize the world of struggles uh, of the startups in two minutes and 13 seconds. Um, let me change the answer and then you can you can do the British uh, journalism and found me, but that was not what I asked. No, I, I'm actually curious about in the current environment that we find ourselves into Corona working from home. Uh, and, and one of my realizations these days is that uh, I have way less fun than before uh, because of the, the ecosystem in which we are, right? So uh, we, are, we are even improving our results 2x from last year, 3x from last year, growing, the status, the portfolio is doing amazingly well despite the situation. Uh, but it's so much more, it's much more difficult to have fun, right? Because I think we're lacking the interaction with socials and lacking, uh, you know, winning and shaking five or going out for a drink with my friends or talking to my team about, I mean, let's celebrate, right? It's very difficult to celebrate over Zoom. You can try many things, the chin chin, the chan chan, but they're not together, right? So I, and I, it goes back to the stressors of, I think, of uh, founders these days, which is you're having the, 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 in my opinion, the easiest time ever to have a startup uh, because it's much easier in the last year to sell online. You don't need to travel to do a lot of the things. You can hire talent everywhere in the world because now they don't need to move an office. You don't need to have an office. Um, so in many ways, we are in the easiest time ever to scale fast as a startup, even corporates don't need you to go to headquarters. You can talk to them on a Zoom call, which they never have done 18 months ago. Um, so in a way, it's the easiest time, but it's probably the most psychological uh, environment context most humans under the age of 35, 40 have ever met before, because until now, everything was fantastic. And every year was, as a world in the Western world, at least every year was 2x. And even in crisis, come on, people were still like having, in most cases, a, a lot of fun, right? So to me, the key stressor right now is the, the lack of fun in the current human interactions are running of a company compared to what we were used to. And if you have this mental image about how amazing it's going to be to run a startup that is being successful, you are like, damn, we are doubting ourselves. We just fundraise and are not having any fun, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and it's obviously depending on your expectations about, all right, don't worry, five years from now will be super fun. Some people is good enough at portraying that, but most people even taking the, most people who thought in one year we'll be traveling again and they're like, fuck, I thought last year that it would be impossible that one year from now we'll still be stuck at home. So now I almost afraid of making any, any environments, right? So to me, that's a big stressor, which is going back, is the, it's two of them. One is the lack of fun compared with what we were used to. Uh, and the, this aim that I really want to do something that I took, I took for granted before, and now I really want it. Uh, but B is the many, many more people not being able to anymore project forward positively because they're afraid that they will actually be wrong again. And almost they live in these 24 hours. Uh, you know, it looks like Groundhog movie. I get up, I take my kids, I go to work. I finish, I play the piano 30 minutes, I listen to music, I eat, I kiss them, movie, Netflix, bed again, right? It looks like a fucking Groundhog movie, right? Uh, well, half of those things are fun, but they're not anymore. 
because you have put yourself in this framework of repetition, right? So that's to me a, a big stressor. It's uh, like a 365 days day. <laughs> For example, I was talking to people like, people, I was talking to Petra, you know, her story is like, dude, I am doing Duolingo, uh, taking on planting. I'm doing more things than ever in my life because I want to do things I'm bored to death, right? So we're taking in new languages, we play new instruments, we yeah. do our kids more projects than ever together. Still boring, right? Yeah. Uh, so we're doing more and more as, as individualists, but probably in the biggest moment of creativity we have ever done because we're doing so much with our time because we have so much time that we're not traveling, that we're not commuting, that we're not doing anything, but we feel empty and bored, even if we're being supposedly successful. And it's such a existential moment in a way that we have not faced it before, right? Yeah, and I think that, you know, to, to Christopher's point, the not only do you have additional new stressors, right, you have the challenge of working from home. And it's a weird balance, because for the people who are working from home with young kids, their challenge is that they have kids there, and they're trying to actually be productive while they also have to educate. For the people who might be single, though, their challenge is that they're just on their own so often. Right. So that kind of working from home, the additional work, the uncertainty. And to Christabel's point, you don't have the normal forms of stress relief. Right. You used to like, oh, I'm just going to go to the bar with my friends after, you know, at, at a, after a long week. And it's like, well, I can't really do that now. Or it's more stressful to do that. Oh, I'm going to go to a gym. Well, a lot of the gyms, at least in the U.S., are closed. Oh, I'm going to go to a sporting event. Well, you can't do that or it's socially distanced and there's additional stress to do so. Oh, I'm going to go and play a sport. Oh, well, I can only do these kind of individualistic sports. Like all the things that we used to do to relieve stress are either now impossible to do currently or more stressful to do, right? It doesn't actually relieve stress. It actually causes more stress. And from a workplace environment, everything is transactional, right? People feel like Alexa and Siri, because rather than having the hallway conversations or the conversation afterwards, maybe you're in a meeting and it's a little bit tense, but you walk out of the meeting and in the hallway, you chat with someone and you kind of relieve that tension right away. Now it just sits there because it was like, you're into the next Zoom meeting or onto the next kind of virtual stuff. So I think all of these components come together and and starting back to your point around like, why does this impact mental toughness? Uh, I'm an engineer, so I've studied everything that I could about productivity, certainly what's in the book. Also, you know, Pomodoro technique and Pareto's principle and Parkinson's law and all these other things around productivity. And one thing that I have learned is that it is very difficult to be productive if you are dead or if you like feel like death, right? If you are sick and tired, if you're burned out, if you're worn out, if you're stressed out, you're not going to be at your peak performance. You're not going to be able to deliver those results kind of going on. And this is why humor is one strategy that we can use, but it's about being intentional, right? More so before we used to have the water cooler conversations, and that's where we could get kind of some of the humor day to day. Now we have to be even more intentional about how we're incorporating it so that we relieve the stress for ourselves and for other people. Yeah, definitely. There is one thing with efficiency. No? If we are an efficient organization and we move that to online, we end up, as you say, uh, like city, do this, do that. No? And this is how many meetings feel, even workshops, because we do a lot of uh, creative workshops, but they feel like that. Now you move to this panel, you move to this panel, and everything is scripted. No, There's no... As I said, we were talking before the, the, the recording started. Uh, 
how when you move to give a talk you have the context uh, before uh, beginning no before starting so you start working talking with people informally you get a little bit of the the grasp of what's happening no and and, and when you end up you also get a feedback no now this is okay your life you start talking and then you leave no but i'm seeing a lot of people that are doing very well i think uh, a lot of companies are giving these uh, free open halls town halls no with clients and people even from the competition and, and I think it's very interesting because they are uh, consciously and also intentionally inefficient, no? Because there is no business there. There is no if I put this time here, I get this money there, no? Which is the problem I think with this uh, Corona thing, no? That, that, that if you are thinking in terms of productivity and efficiency, you are making people act like robots, no? And and and, and that's the problem with this uh, this thing. No? So for me, this is the point that uh, being intentionally inefficient and getting off the, the typical script of, of your position to just to, to ping people and say, how are you? No, and I have this fortunately in, in with people, no, and, and that's good. Yeah, yes, yes to, yeah, to pick two things that you guys said, said well, three actually. They talk about this transactional mentality. I fully agree. I also agree that this coming from Mohammed about oh, I'm more productive. I think the problem when you're productive uh, how 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 much productive is enough, right? Uh, but I, I, my experience, like I actually I uh, um, I plan a lot, but I used to plan where I'm going to be in a way, right? Because I was traveling a lot, and then when I'm there, I have a main meeting, but then I try to use my time efficiently. The problem now is you're managing everything with your Outlook, right, or with your Google Calendar, right? So almost it feels bad when you have an empty space of 15 minutes, right? But oh my God, I need to book another meeting, you know? Um, is the, the capacity, and almost most of us, in order to have one hour of thinking, we book our own meeting to ourselves, because that's the only way, way to be disciplined, to really have time for you, uh, so somebody. So is this, you know, there is no barriers of entry for anybody to set up a meeting with you, right? Exactly. And most people don't want to say no to a meeting if, if they have seen, because I say in the calendar, that is not empty, right? So the question there is, how do we become that discipline to ourselves about, uh, having those 15 minutes to take a walk even around the house. So we can be very efficient, but in the long term, we're going to burn no matter what, one way or another, exactly. right? So, and I like the idea about, you know, almost booking inefficient, I wouldn't say meetings, but inefficient times. And, you know, we try to do the, a lot of these things that has nothing to do with the company. Let's do a Zumba meeting. Let's do a catch-up meeting. But again, is how can we build the chit chat? Uh, into most of our into our life, right? Because again, most of us are obsessed about being efficient. We go into a meeting and I want to get the meeting going. But in fact, there is no coffee machine. So so uh, I need, and as a CEO, people is doing what I do in many mm -hmm. ways, right? So if I come and it's like, boom, 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 you know, it's going to be boom, 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 right? If I come there, it's fine if we take, take minutes just chatting and people being a bit relaxed and setting the mood. That's, that's allowing those 10 minutes that you don't have between meetings, right? So to me, it's very conscious about how are we setting to ourselves, our providers, everybody dealing with us that, hey, we can have transactional meetings for 30 minutes, it's fine. But even if you have a, anything longer than that, allow some time to, you know, to pace down, pace up in the meeting, pace down again, not, hey, guys, I have to go to the next meeting in one minute. You're creating this image that, oh, fuck, having one minute. You know, people tell me, Christopher, when we book vacation in your company, we feel bad because you never take vacation. And I see your face every time uh, we say, I'm taking, and I said, hey, it's okay, go to go on vacation. But you, you look like, I hate you because you're taking vacation, right? 
Um, but I'm being told that, right? So now I'm trying to be super conscious about those things, right? And about, you know, in the company, we need to be alive. You said, if we are not going to be efficient if we are dead. Yeah. So and, I am responsible for my company health, not just for mine. Uh, and I need to put a good example there, right? Absolutely. Well, and I think a, an important point that you hit on there, Cristobal, at least from a, a humor side of things, the number one reason why people don't use more humor in the workplace is because they don't think that their boss or coworkers would approve. Which means then if you don't have humor in your workplace, if your team isn't, you know, sharing jokes, if they're not starting with a little bit of kind of the, the social lubricant at the beginning, or if they're not doing these other things, then you're probably part of the reason why. And probably not necessarily maliciously. It's not like you, you may have never come down and said, we don't use humor. We're all, always about the work. Or you've maybe never have like explicitly said that out loud. But there's good chances that because of how you behave, because you don't use any humor yourself, or because of how your face looks when someone else laughs or whatever, then you're, you might be creating this culture that isn't welcoming of humor. And I think people sometimes think that it has to be, oh, I have to start telling punchlines or it has this big, be this big board deal type thing. And it can be pretty simple. In fact, I, you know, maybe just to add a little bit of humor to, to what we're talking about now, we can East answer this question, but you can start a meeting and say, Hey, we're just going to take five minutes. And just very quickly, I want each person to go around and share what's the first thing you remember buying with your own money. Right? So for me, I remember buying, I saved up some money from doing some chores around the neighborhood and I bought a, a toy from uh, Exo Squad. So Exo Squad was a cartoon TV show uh, in the United States. It's basically like G.I. Joe, if you ever watched that, but like a knockoff version of it. So it was like a mix between G.I. Joe and Power Rangers. And I bought this toy, right? And you can start with a simple question like that and you start to already get to know the human side of things. People can also share that in uh, the chat as well. What is something that you remember buying with your own money? But uh, Luis, Doyen, Cristobal, I'd be curious to, to know what's the first thing you remember buying? Well, we're too old. We don't remember shit from that. Uh, uh, well, only the Spanish people uh, will, will know what it is. Uh, record of Mecano. It's a techno group in the 80s in, in Spain. So I would say that or, or football stamps, probably. I don't know which one of these two. Oh, uh, yeah. Like it was basketball because I love was probably was actually saving money to sure. buy a basketball sure. magazine in that case. But I would say, yeah, it's even music or sure. something about the stamps collections and sure. at that time, right? I think for me, for me, two things come to mind. One was this Mickey Mouse comics of Walt Disney. So I think that that was like, I had like a whole box, but like it was such a pleasure the first time I could, you know, go into the uh, kiosk and just uh, take my own Mickey Mouse comics. But then I think the other thing comes to mind is one of these Nintendo um, game box kind of thing. We were collecting, me and my brother, for, I don't know, a couple of months, right, or more, to be able to, you know, all the grandmother, grandfather, everybody supporting with uh, some some funds. And then we finally had a chance to uh, to get this, so it was it was really cool. Yeah, but, but actually, Andrea, one thing we, I think we actually, probably is coming from you. Uh, from reading you, or maybe a conversation you have actually with Sane when she met you in the... So right now, for example, we finish meetings with thank yous, right? So we ask people, hey, five minutes, anything you want to thank, right? And it's very funny because if you don't make a point, you finish the meeting, oh, we don't have time for this today, next week, right? So almost it's the last thing you want to do. So we make a conscious effort, but it's about, you know, 
this finish in a positive in a so again uh, it's, it's, it's not humor it's the positive energy right for the positive atmosphere so we put this hey at the end of each meeting that we meet the whole team uh, we do these thank you notes but it's not good to say a small anecdote so it was the birthday of our uh, chief growth officer uh, last week uh, and he said oh, this is him you know and he said oh, i want to celebrate in my own way so he sent to everybody in the team something he wanted them to do in the team call so we have these tuesdays the entire company in a team call right and he basically made us wait a fucking hour everybody doing a different role skip so they was not able to do any business in that one hour right and for example mine was i had to speak with in nigerian english right uh, and i had to do it without uh, one of my colleagues had to have a lipstick that was like like this like you know you say lipstick it was like like this and you have to say the whole hour one of them was a unicorn with a cocktail uh, the whole time. And you had to stay like nothing was happening. Uh, one of them has to do James Bond uh, movie titles and everything she was saying. And she managed to get the entire 40 people with something that he has scripted. And you could see at some point people were just switching off the cameras because they were just cracking their butt off so much that they couldn't allow it. But it brought, I think it was like, okay, a liberating. Now we have another month that we can leave because we just got all these laughs together out in the environment. So it was a bit too much in terms of time for me as CEO. But, but again, it was a good idea that, you know, uh, these things just creates a completely different atmosphere in the team and rebuilds some connections that we might have lost because of the transactional direction of the times, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things, at least that I think about it as an engineer, because I am someone who's obsessed with efficiency, right? Like I listen to podcasts at 2x speed because it's faster. And also more people sound like me, their, their voices are higher, uh, which I appreciate. But I'm obsessed with efficiency, but there is a difference. And Luis kind of mentioned this is a difference between being efficient and being effective, right? If you're like, I need to drive as fast as possible from Lisbon to Moscow, that you wouldn't be like, great, I'm not going to stop for gas at all, right? Because you would then, your car would break down on the side of the road and you wouldn't get anywhere. But instead, you're going to stop periodically and refuel. And that's the same thing that humor can provide is the same thing of like, you know, it's, it's recharging. That's what we're talking about is what are the things that are effective? Because you think of, okay, that meeting that you all had for this person's birthday, you're going to remember that one probably five years from now, but so many of the other meetings you're not going to remember. Even this conversation where we're getting to know people a little bit more. Imagine you did that in a sales call. And now I know that Stoyan grew up on Nintendo and I might make a reference in my email, my follow-up email to him and be like, hey, and you know, here's some type of Super Mario thing, or hey, this is kind of like a mushroom and hopefully we'll be able to help you level up. And it's not necessarily the greatest humor in the world, but now it's much more personal. Now there's an actual connection there and we're doing business with humans and not with Alexa or Siri. That's what it feels like, I think, sometimes with, with Zoom. And the one thing I'll just kind of say is if you are, if you do have an Alexa or Siri or smart device at home, just be sure that you are saying thank you and please to those smart devices. One, because you want to stay in good manner when you're talking in virtual meetings with other people. But two, if there is a robot uprising, you want Alexa to be like, you know what? They were one of the good ones. And it's a yeah. preservation <laughs> technique. Yeah, I remember that 20 years ago when I was not smart, you said this, no? And because they record everything, no? Now, one thing that I know about humor, but it's just a bit being able to be yourself, no? Which is one thing that I, that I, that I know. In, in, in most of the companies that I, that, that I work, uh, we have this creative part, which was design, it was creativity, innovation, whatever. So you need you need humor and you need to 
to collaborate a lot. So we found out a lot of people coming to us just because they felt safe. No, they, they could talk in a different way they didn't have in the boardrooms, no, for instance. And, and I see most of the corporations normally they buy humor, they don't, they don't buy creativity, they buy a, a way of thinking of alternatives, no, to what they have, no. But at the same time, depends on the level of what it stakes in, in that work and in that meetings, the bonuses, the the, the rewards, the incentives. Uh, sometimes they are designed to create stress. So that's the point. It's uh, continuous growth, uh, a lot of pressure. So, so it's very difficult to be humorous there. You have to take the people in, into a part and, and, and do things in a different way. But the context uh, many times is, is quite, quite uh, serious no? and boring. But it seems like if you, if you want to be a professional, you have to be boring and you have to suffer a lot. So, which is, in my case, is not what I think. No? I, I want to suffer, but obviously doing something that, that matters to me. No? So then it's not suffering, it's, it's growth. It's, it's about uh, evolution. No? Yeah, and uh, Natalie Nixon just uh, posted a comment. Love the phrase that humor is a social lubricant. Right. Humor also helps to physically relax us. And actually, I love what you guys been sharing previously with respect to we need to be more intentional in terms of managing stress these days because it's not like before, right? Like you, you go to the office, you meet people, you kind of, hey, let's go to the bar after work. Like it okay. happens. Without you have to do something about it. But now it's just your home. If you're not intentionally set up some fun activities, some stress management things, doing some games, whatever it is, go for a walk with somebody new, do something random, call someone. If you don't do it, it's not going to happen. Exactly. Or it's not very likely to happen. So so emphasizing on the importance to actually be more intentional and, and self-management, like, okay, let's take ownership, right? Mm. Understand yeah, but, that. yeah, and I to me, but you know, sorry, I'm looking at this today a lot as a as a, as a manager of people, right? Not as a self management, right? Uh, because, I don't know. I think most of us, because of our life experience, or maybe not, but I feel that we are very resilient. We have found many tricks to to get away from many of these things, and probably at least these last ten years, probably we get away. We yeah, we don't have almost any hair, so that's a matter we're not going to lose anymore. But but it's how do we manage in our people? Again, in people with 20, 25 years younger, right? I just, I just came up, I had a call with one of my colleagues, you know, uh, one of my team members like, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. You gave me this thing on Thursday and I have not slept well since then. And I was like, holy shit. You know, I thought I gave a very exciting assignment to this person. And I actually, I said, hey, this is what, I, I don't want to tell you what to do. Just do what you think. If you need any consultation, let me know, et cetera. So I was thinking, you know, I'm really empowering this person. I really don't want, I really want them to grow. And I have created a person that has not slept for four days, right? And of course, because you only talk to them usually on the phone transactionally, on WhatsApp or in Zoom, I couldn't see her face until now. I couldn't hear the breathing. And I was like, holy shit, right? So it's like, uh, we need to find so many different ways to measure and uh, index our individual living the team one by one people stress and we're not used to that we because we have the coffees because we have the managers but not the managers don't see the other managers so to me i really want to have no self-discipline i want to have team discipline i want to uh, get as much info as i can and i have to be extremely responsible of what is happening in their lives because i want them alive and happy when we get out of this one uh, right and, and andrew put very well 
if you have kids at home, it's very difficult if you're a, if you're a single mom with a kid at home or you're completely alone and you haven't seen a human being, it's to be you calling Zoom for months, right? And each of those situations are creating a very different level of stress on the people. And a call at seven o'clock to each of those groups means something very different. Uh, so you have to be careful. Um, so I think we need to be, we be some, some suddenly have to be much more individually managing people Mm -hmm. Well, maybe we're managing groups much more until now uh, because we the one to one is how we're going to be able to get the feedback, not in, in settings with people in, in Windows or Zoom, right? Uh, and I think that has to is making us think and probably change a lot, or at least adapt, change not adapt a lot how we're doing things these days. Or we have to at least think about. Oh, for sure. And I, what I would say for me for that is, is one, recognizing that, you know, leadership is not a hat. It's not like one size fits all. And, you know, an attempt at efficient leadership. And this is one of the big changes that's happened with leadership over the past 20, 30, 40 years. Something that Luis can probably talk a, a, a lot about is that leadership used to be about efficiency. If you're running a factory, then how to make things as efficient as possible maybe made sense. But in a knowledge economy, people's emotions now impact their ability to get work done. And so leadership has had to evolve as well. And it's about effectiveness. Efficient is treating everyone on your team exactly the same and just being like, I'm just going to be this laissez-faire leader. I'm going to be this very kind of dictatorial leader. Or I'm going to be that. It's like, no, the, the adaptation is what makes it more effective. You adapt to the individual people on your team and, and change because some people need very clear rules and other people need, hey, just the vision and what they're going towards. And, you know, I think the other thing is I just want to touch upon is that stress by itself is not a bad thing, right? If we're thinking about efficiency and effectiveness long term about being productivity and seeking peak performance, stress is part of that. Stress is how we grow. Stress is how we improve stress is why we have microwave ovens and not just cooking food over a fire because over time we're like, how can we do this faster? How can we spend less time, you know, needing to eat food? The issue is when we don't relieve that stress. Chronic stress is when we see all the negative health effects in terms of an increased blood pressure and increased muscle tension and decrease in the immune system and increase in risk of anxiety and depression and heart disease and all that. Chronic stress is that. It's that we have to be intentional about relieving that stress. So I don't want people to kind of listen to this and kind of get the main idea like, oh, we just got everything has to be fun. It's like not everything is going to be fun, but we can be intentional about how we're making sure that we're we're charging throughout the day. And you know, uh, along that line, I think, you know, this, there's a reason why this message is kind of in my background. And it says you are responsible for your own happiness. That I think is part of the mindset that we want to start to train people on our team is to say exactly to Cristobal's example, where it's like, hey, this I thought would help you. I need people to raise their hand if for whatever reason, hey, I'm struggling, or hey, I this thing has made me stressed out. Like the fact that they actually came to you, maybe it was four days later, still means that there's a good relationship there because some people would just say, oh, I could never go to my CEO and tell them that I'm stressed out by the project that they gave me. So part of the culture, I think, as a leader is building people's psychological safety so that they feel comfortable kind of saying, hey, I'm struggling, or hey, I need some help, or hey, this, you know, if I got information this way, it would actually help me a little bit more. Actually, we have a very fresh example. Uh, the other day, it was Sunday, we had a team meeting with Cristobal and working on a um, learning, a new learning experience with Perform. And I was exhausted. I was overwhelmed. I was not in a good place. 
It wasn't like a specific reason. It was just all the things coming together, a little bit too many things to do. We didn't have time to talk to each other much and kind of define where we are going, what are the priorities the last, you know, uh, seven, 10 days. And and I just wrote Cristobal like an email, explaining him what's going on and we need to postpone the meeting. You know, let's let's move it to tomorrow. The next day, we had a really good conversation, half an hour conversation, align all the things and I'm I'm fully back. You know, um, and it's, but if I don't have this safety to be able to say to Christopher or to whoever I'm working with that, hey, I'm not feeling well, and there's no reason, I'm just not feeling well. If I don't have this safety, then I'll be even more stressed. I'll try to push it and it becomes like a, like a vicious cycle. It's just going down and down. And with that perspective, I'm actually curious. And I know we talk about taking care of our team and helping them, but I also want to hear you guys like, what do you do personally if you are feeling not in your best state, if you're feeling overwhelmed? Like what what helps you to to get in a better mental state? I let Luis go. Yeah, yeah no, sorry, I was I had a, a call and I had to call it. Uh what what I do is I reach out to people that are like my conspirators, no? Uh Usually I do that. Uh, also, I read, I play the guitar, uh, whatever, no? Whatever it's, it's just disconnecting totally, no? And also, obviously, sometimes what I do is, it happens sometimes that I remember when I have a presentation that is important or I don't have it until the, the night before, no? Sometimes. Or I talk, no? And suddenly I have some tears in my eyes. I'm not crying, but almost, no? I fucked up everything. I, I won't I give a whatever. But it's the pattern, no? That that, that uh, tears uh, are announcing that I will have a good uh, day the, the the following day, no? But so, sometimes I procrastinate too much, which is I think uh, mental toughness and procrastination have to something to talk about between them. Uh, but that's what I do, no? Uh, get into the creative side, uh, and also, as I said, I'm 50, so I have some patches. I know myself somehow how I do I react when I'm scared, when I'm stressed, what I like. I, I know how to listen to my body. No, to, the, to the sensations. So what, what I do is try to identify what is happening. No, now your body is saying to you, this to you. No? So what I do is trying to manage that and also try to put it in perspective. Because if not, you can panic very easily. No? So, so that's what I do mostly. Yeah, I, I think the key point, Luis, and hopefully it doesn't only come with people our age, but they can do it earlier, is that we know ourselves. Um, we, we, list, we don't try, we try not to, we know ourselves, but sometimes we know that we ignore the, the, the signs, right? But exactly. we, try not, we try not to ignore the signs, right? So if you know, I, I'm feeling like shit today, there is things you don't do when you're feeling like shit. So you don't have a meaningful talk to your wife or partner, or you don't have the most important discussion about equity or funding or whatever, right? So first is that when you feel that way, you postpone things that you know, it's not the right time to have them, right? Exactly. Which immediately actually tastes, wow, okay. I don't have to deal with that right now. I would deal with when I'm in the right place, which is maybe when you did the story on, on Sunday, right? The second one is a recess. You know, what is, for me, what is it? It's playing basketball too bad. I cannot do it right now. But okay, at least I try to watch it, but it's cooking, it's playing the piano. So it's, I've, and if you look at all of those, I think it's mostly we try to find things in which we find peace with ourselves. No, so definitely. the things in which we go back to ourselves, so playing the piano is the music, is the rhythm. Cooking is nothing is bothering you, chop, you taste, right? So I think is you go back to your basic instincts of feelings and regain contact with yourself. 
And then you go back to the outside world to kind of touch other people in a way, right? So to me, that's a lot of it. So don't ignore the signs. Uh, take the things that you cannot deal at that point with and go back to yourself and regain yourself, your comfort with yourself, with the things that you like or that help you to get to that position, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I think is such a, one, I think a great point is that, you know, as you get a little bit older, you start to learn. If you're not at that stage yet, or even because, hey, all the things that I used to do, I can no longer do. For me, that means that it's an exciting time of experimenting. Right now you can be like, let me try a bunch of stuff and see what actually recharges me. What do I like? Maybe I've never really done much cooking before, but let me give it a go and see if I like it. If it adds more stress, then you stop doing it mm -hmm. and you go back to the way that you were. Let me try, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm doing more walks now. Like, you know, I've, because I've realized one of the disadvantages of working from home is that there is no commute which I recognize a lot of times is an advantage, but it can be a disadvantage, especially in, in today's kind of current environment because you never physically leave your workspace because it's always right there. You sometimes never mentally leave it either, right? It's so easy to like, you've had dinner, you've like put the kids to bed or you've like done whatever. And then you see the laptop sitting there and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to see if there's a couple of emails and then you end up working even later, right? And so there's no kind of distinction. And so one of the things I've started to do is to, uh, create a commute is like, you know, if I'm feeling, if it's been a little bit stressful, I'll wake up. And before I start the day, it's like, let me force myself to go outside and go for a walk. Right. So I'm not going immediately into my office and starting to work. And then at the end of the day, let me go for a walk a little bit. My wife and I are like, oh, okay, the sun goes down here currently at about 630 or so. So at six o'clock, can we be sure that we go for a short bike ride or for a walk or something just so that we have that separation? And right, so you're going to discover new things about yourself. So I think trying a bunch of stuff definitely helps. And then I, I don't know, I'm an engineer. So I have a, a four step process for, for managing stress. And so part of that fun, though, is like I said, is experimenting with stuff. It's like, okay, let me try this thing. And does it relieve my stress? Great. Does it put me in the right creative mood? Like I, I am someone who spends way too much time on Reddit, at least previously. And I realized that can be good stress relief because it's just kind of like mindless scrolling, but I'm not productive or necessarily present with my white after it. So I have to balance for myself. Is it actually a productive use of that kind of relieving stress? And it's going to be mm -hmm. different for each person. But I think the point is that have fun with experimentation. Be like, I'm just going to brainstorm a list of 20 different things I could try and then go through them and see what the results are. You can turn even the process of learning how to relieve stress into something fun. Okay. Yeah. And actually yeah. on top of this, I think uh, this is really good suggestions. One thing that really gets you out of the situation of feeling stressed and overwhelmed is to actually get aware where this is coming from. So yeah. I usually when I'm feeling in such a place and sometimes it's connected to me being physically not in a great space, maybe, sure. but it doesn't matter. Like if I'm feeling overwhelmed and stressed, I'm just trying to journal it. Okay, what, where is this coming from? What is really stressing you? It's kind of like, you know, self-coaching. What is stressing you? And I start writing down, what are the things that really stress you? Actually, we included one of the tools in the book, uh, which is the worry clearing tool. In order to clear your worries, you first need to recognize what they are. So basically make a list of the things that are stressing you out and then put them in two columns. What are the things that are within my control? And what are the things that I cannot control? And it's a very stressful situation for many. You know, my, my parents had COVID uh, a month ago. You know, I cannot control this. I can, you know, I can maybe impact it in some way to keep their 
mood positive and so on, but I don't have any control. So the things that I can control on this list, if everything is in my head and I'm feeling overwhelmed, maybe it's because I have so many things there. Okay, if I put it on this line and say, what are the things I can control? I can immediately come up with some specific ideas and say, oh, I'll think about it tomorrow. I'll call this person. I'll take this action. All right. I'm feeling a little bit more in peace right now. And about the things I cannot control, what can I do to see differently? Right? Can I, can I see a different perspective? Can I, can I see where's the lesson in it? And I can use it in the future. What can I do to actually accept that this is things are out of my control? And to your point, Andrew, to, to try to find something that's more light, more, um, you know, not everything can be fun, but at least sometimes we're just so much in our heads and that's where stress comes from because we have some expectations about how things should be and you can't control everything. It just yeah. doesn't. In a stoic, a little bit, no? Uh, one thing that I, that I learned is uh, the other day I saw a video from 2000 year. So it was in Barcelona. It's a documentary about the, the beginnings of, of internet in Spain. And it happened that it's me in that video. And it was a 29-year-old Luis there in a meeting. There are no post-its. They were totally different with the clients. They closed everything. I, I had care, but I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't was looking to, to my hair or if I was young or the rest of the people. But I was suddenly I started to talk with that Luis as if it was a, a, another person, a young guy, no? And I was saying, Luis, you don't have any idea what is coming, no? Because I have some. I have one. No plan get according to my master plan. Everything went totally different. And I was saying, you're going to leave this, this girlfriend that you have now, you want to get married, you're going to have two ch ch children, you're going to move to Madrid, you're going to travel the world. You don't have any idea of that. And, and, and I said this, you won't have a plan and you will suffer a lot because you will take many decisions that you don't know why you are taking. And it will be the, the inefficient decision. If you put it in an Excel, will be the, the, the contrary of what your parents said to you, no? what you've been taught. You know, making up linear progressive um, um, and, and something that you can predict, no predictable career. So, and, and what I said is, Luis, whatever you do, talking to him, it was very peculiar, no? It was like, a, wow, what's happening? I'm talking with, with myself. And, and I said to him, whatever you do is going to be fine. No, the problem is that uh, the past successes, this is a, my vision of success is very peculiar. I'm not a, huge uh, big executive or having a big car is, is, is about having fun, in fact, having an impact with people and, and enjoying. But the problem is that I don't have the 70 year old Luis telling me now, you know, Luis, now that you're 50, you're in a transition, the decision you take is going to be fine. No? So that is the, that is the, the, the issue that, that you can look in hindsight, in hindsight, but also you can share your, your advice to other people. So reaching to a mentor, I think is, is fundamental also sharing because we, sometimes we, we, we don't take into account the experience of the people that have gone uh, before us, no? Uh, they have a lot of, they know the patterns, no? And most of the things are patterns, are stories, and they're very similar. They have different technologies, different contexts, but most of the people have different, uh, in a different context, a different moment in time, they have similar stories, no? And that's why yeah. when we learn from history and from uh, books about companies, uh, you know, it's about sharing stories and experiences. Yeah, and I so think the, this is a, no, 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 of course, I just wanted to build up upon your point because you thought something that to me 
it's a it's a bit of a difference and something we try to impact in the new europe right because the change of economy so going from communism to capitalism uh, most of people on their 30s or 40s they don't have role models right because their parents they love them but they have not gone through that experience right yeah. while you and me luis and probably andrew our parents maybe they were not executives in the same way but they went through the system right so you can call them with a professional issue and at least they will understand the human side of the professional issue, right? Uh, whether in Eastern Europe, the parents don't understand anything about you talking about in many ways, right? Uh, and it's a that's in a way what we call it the family, the role that we try to do with a lot of our uh, alumni. But that's what I call everybody. You are role models for the future. People will be looking at you as the journey that you have taken as a logical journey, right? So, you know, and that should be a, a motive of pride, but also you know, responsibility in the right way, the responsibility you want to have, right? But it's this lack of a perspective because you have not seen your journey in your parents or in your uncles or in your people near you, that is quite difficult. And one of the reasons why we brought the book, say, hey, there's people like you in the corners of Riga, Prague, Kiev, uh, that is doing the same thing. Don't worry, you know, like there will be people that will be helping you. There will be people that will be generous to you. Uh, but it's this lack of Romo that is very interesting. Um, and when I talk to a lot of people, again, say 10 years younger than us, in the region and we really try to put a lot of our experiences give back so this give back as mentorship in the region i think is even more important than in any other place because the net the the sustainable network the circle of support from a business point of view at least is much smaller because it's being developed it's not been there for 50 years or 75 years right we have i think the luxury and the lack at least you and me you know and by the way fun fact luis and i study in the same city in the same university, which is not a very common one, it's a smaller city in Spain. He just did it five years before me. But actually, we, we shared one year and we probably were about 200 meters because our faculties are 200 meters apart. But of course, we didn't know each other. But you know, fun fact there, yeah, things happened 25 years later. Like, you know, and, you, you know, and you did, did basketball with Genaro. Yes, yes, yes. And with he's a world champion in basketball. and. Yes. And he went with the Spanish national team in the in the Olympics, in the World Championship, whatever. And yeah. he started with numbers because he studied one uh, um, computer science for for companies. No, he started doing the numbers of the of the of the of the matches. No, and yeah. he ended up in the in the Spanish national team. And he also he moved to the Kinky of Moscow. He was in Kinky Moscow. Moscow. Yeah, exactly. Was and and whatever team he was there. The, the teams were having a lot of uh, success, no? And he said, I started with the numbers, putting in a, in a notepad the, the, the numbers, but I discovered that if the Gasol brothers don't look at each other in the, in the courtyard, the numbers doesn't come. So for me, that was very insightful because uh, it's what I said, numbers, whatever you have, they come from interactions between people. So if you don't help the people to interact, you won't have any number, you, you only squeeze the Excel, no? what, is, what, is, what I see happening in many companies. They are totally run out of human interactions. No? Mm -hmm. So they're squeezing the Excel, optimizing here and there, changing, moving the, the accounts to, to make it look like a monopoly. No, it's like a, it's like a game now. So that's the point. You have to know where the sources of, of, of the numbers and success are, no? and also optimize for relationships because it's where you will have all the all the results and also the, the, the good stories no? that you will tell to to your mm -hmm. to your children, to your colleagues, to whatever. No? Yeah. Well, and just quickly on what, what Luis was saying there, talking about the numbers and data, it reminded me of what I learned in programming when I was going through computer science is garbage in, garbage out. 
And so part of this impact of peak performance is also what are you consuming? What are you taking in? Like one of the big changes that I made that was a huge help for me was on things like Instagram and Twitter and stuff was to follow more artists and more creators as opposed to news sources or other things. Because even just that small stuff in the feed, like what it, what you're taking in, if you're like seeing inspiring stuff, you're going to be a little bit more inspired. And then to what kind of a little bit what Cristobal is talking about. A strategy that someone uh, told me I thought was very helpful was five, 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 right? When something stressful or something comes up in your experiences, is it going to matter in five minutes? Is it going to matter in five years? And is it going to matter in five decades? Like what's your perspective going to be? And it sometimes helps you to do that future thinking so that it's like, if you're like really stressed out in a meeting about something and you're like, Actually, we're, we're going to laugh about this in five minutes. You can kind of shortcut that and happen a little bit sooner. If it's like in five decades, I'm not going to care about this thing that just happened. It can help you to reframe some of these things. And, you know, one great way for reframing, just as we're talking about entrepreneurship, and I just learned this last week in a, a conversation with the CEO of a card company in the U.S., and he said, uh, you know, also consider the consumer in the room if you're trying to make these decisions Consider would your end client, your end customer, your end consumer, end user, would they care about what you're talking about in that meeting? Does it positively impact that? Because so often we start fighting and we're going to argue about the like this thing versus this thing. And it's like, does our does a person who ultimately matter to us, are they going to care about the decision? So you could say a thing about that for your user. You could say, you know, well, my kids care about this decision otherwise. But sometimes just those little tricks to reframe the position get you out of the like, butting heads. It's a pattern interrupt for you to be like, no, let me, let me come at this intentionally as opposed to reactionary. Yeah. It's very funny because I was explaining to my kid the other day what relative means, right? So he asked me, daddy, are we going to soon? I said, well, as soon as in one hour, yes, as soon as in one minute, then no, right? We're very, very late, right? I can spend the whole weekend every time we say something. Okay, let me put that relative. Uh, this is me. So, <laughs> It's funny this five 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 because it's all about relative weight of, of of things, right? So it's about you know, but I, I, again, it's about stop and said, would you care about this in X amount of time? And you know, most times he said no. So then you know, I love the remember the, the the movie also in Tom Hams about the bridge in Eastern Europe, and is this Russian spy, uh, and the guy says, you know, but dude, you you seem so relaxed, and they might execute you tomorrow. I said. Will it change if I if I care? I said no. Then it's okay. You know. So to me, it's about you know, hey, they care about the things you can influence, and the other ones they're going to happen. So at least try to influence. And again, it's another way to relativize decisions or or stress or things that are happening to you. Mm. We all have we all have this one friend that whatever bad happens to her or to him, they just always laughing about it. I had this friend. He's always. Man, you can't imagine. I just, uh, I was uh, just the bus came like this close before my job interview, and it went through a puddle, and I was fully like messed up. And I went, and it was a terrible interview. <laughs> and I'm like, and this guy's always like that, you know? It's yeah. not like anything bad that happens is like, how do you do that, you know? But <laughs> it's also yeah, like... a, the gallows humor, also, no? When you are uh, about having some problem or whatever. I remember uh, with some clients exams in the in the university, and you start doing stupid jokes, and the people were laughing. It was like a you know like a psychological reaction. No, but, but the point for me is that in the end, stress is absolute. It's not relative. It's 
I want, I need to solve it now because I'm dying. No, if I don't solve it now, I, I will die. So it's, it's just, that is the problem that many people live in a continuous and absolute stress. No, they they are not able to 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 make anything relative. No, so so that is that is the point. No, and when you try to take out the the the, the, the gravity of the thing, that they say, no, you don't you don't understand anything. No, it happened to me also. It can be very very dramatic. No, ah, oh, we're dying. Everything is ah, oh, we're going to sink, everybody's dying, we're going to close the company, we're not selling anything. And, and, and suddenly you have this, this person that is a, like a wise guy, you know, and obviously uh, <laughs> he says that, hey, look at this and look at that. And suddenly you change everything, you know, because you trust him, you know, and, and, and that's the point, you no? Know? Uh, subliminal messages, wise guys. and uh, Exactly, yeah. yeah. Transfer wise has become wise. Everything has become, is becoming wise in the last three, few days, you know, so. <laughs> So I feel very good about our subliminal messages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guys, uh, I love where the conversation is going. Unfortunately, time is also ticking away. Last day was a song. So um, to wrap up this discussion, I just uh, want to, first of all, thank you so much, Andrew Luis, for joining us uh, on this journey, sharing from the heart a lot of your ideas, insights, uh, experience. Uh, thank you, Andrew, for contributing also to the book, perform. And I would like to just give you a bit of a space now to, to share with the audience, you know, what are you doing these days? What is your focus with you, with, uh, with your company, with your career? And, and also, why do you think people should, should get a copy of the perform book? So maybe starting with Luis this time. Okay. What I'm doing, as I said, I left center, so I'm in a transition. And I'm doing some, and this is a performance, a mental toughness thing. I'm, I'm selecting uh, projects and also doing some advisory and things just to to keep myself busy, no, a little bit, and also uh, using the time to to connect with a lot of people that I couldn't because of of, of being busy, no. And and also I'm thinking about joining a company or maybe uh, building something by myself or maybe doing both, no, but. In the end, what I, what I will do, whatever I do, I will take into account the, the book because I read it and, and it was like a, I said, like an operative system. So you can make sure that everything that is needed to make something work is working, no? And it's one thing that I that I discovered during my, my experience and quite dispersed sometimes, no? I, I, I tend not to open many things. My, my brain is like a network, it's not linear at all. It's only you know, making connections. So I think if I have some of the perform uh, lessons, what I would have would be like um, some foundations, no? So I can build something on top of that. So I think this is what I was saying that for me, even it could work in a corporation because you need people to, to understand how to work in a way that is uh, fun, that is effective, and also that is obviously efficient, no? And, and help you to grow. So so the book is, is I think, is going to be decisive for whatever I do in my next uh, venture, which I still I don't know. <laughs> Thank you, Luis. Andrew? I love it. Uh, well, so, you know, experience is the best teacher to go out and do something. You learn from it and grow from it. Uh, and I would say story is the second best teacher because you learn from other people's experiences. And so that's what's so incredible about the book perform is that it's basically this collection and this curation of some conversations and tips learned from other people's experiences. And I think, you know, it's, it's going to save you time because one, you don't have to go and live those experiences yourself to get the lessons. And then two, you don't even necessarily have to go and do all the conversations that I know Stoyan and Cristobal did. Like you, you get it all together in one succinct area. So 
is an efficient way to understand other people's experience. And there's a lot of actionable stuff in it. So that's what I would encourage to, to go and read the book. If you're kind of really interested or fascinated by this idea of humor, uh, so my company, Humor That Works, that's what we focus on is teaching organizations how to use humor to be more effective. So uh, thank you, Stoyan. You can go to humorthatworks.com and we've got a bunch of free articles on there. We've got you know, a link to our uh, book that came out a couple of years ago. We do a bunch of events, including free open mics. We do some improv workshops. We've got a whole bunch of things that are kind of going up, all with the intent to teach people, one, that humor is a valuable skill to, to bring intentionally into the workplace and to uh, how to use it effectively to do it in a way that is appropriate, uh, given the changing the d dynamics of every workplace. Uh, and if people just kind of enjoy what I said and they want to connect with me personally, then I'm at Drew Tarvin, D-R-E-W-T-A-R-V-I-N on all social media. So here on Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube, and I still have a MySpace page for some reason. I don't know why MySpace still exists as a website. I don't know why I still have a profile, but I do. So if that's your jam, you can reach out to me on MySpace. Exceptional. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't heard that for, for decades, but, um, Christopher, uh, Anything to add also maybe yeah, to share yeah. with people about you know yeah. guys. You give me the 47 seconds. So <laughs> a um, a pleasure to be with Luis and Andrew. Uh, I haven't met Andrew in person before, but I have uh, both my team, you Asan, I have met him many times. I read the book, uh, I, I learned and I said to me, there is nothing better than a book that makes you think and learn something, right? I think Andrew's book actually made me think a lot on that one. Secondly, I had the pleasure to, to, to listen to Liz many times. And to me, one thing that he does completely different from others is he brings this humanistic uh, aspect uh, into any process, maybe creativity, maybe management. So I recommend that always to listen to him. And now that he's rediscovering his career, hopefully part of his career is inspiring others in uh, putting this humanistic touch. Um, and just wanted to, um, you know, wise guys, we are about to invest in 18 new companies in the spring. So if you're an early stage startup with a big passion and with a vision, uh, please apply to us. But I just wanted to leave with one thought today about the book and about what I have read. I think we are in a time for leaders and not just for managers. And I have read in this last hour, I, hear, I have heard so many things that makes us better leaders, not just managers. And it's this whole idea about, it's not about efficiency, it's about effectiveness, not efficiency. And that happens with, we need to lead people today. A crisis are time for leaders, not just for managers. It proves the real leaders. And I think a lot of what today was said is a huge amount of amazing stories and principles. And I see that a lot of things we put in the book, it helps you to be a better leader, just manager. Because a leader will always lead something else if you fail as a company. A manager, you might not have another chance. Leaders will always be able to lead managers. Maybe you don't have a company to manage anymore, right? So it's time for leaders and it's time for humanistic leaders and to reconsider the people in our teams as our key asset that we need to manage, not the money, not the time is our people. Uh, and today, whatever you do as a leader will pay off double because your people will be way more thankful than before about you putting them before anything else. So to me, hopefully a lot of the learnings today go from that. And again, uh, thank you, Stoyan, for bringing this amazing uh, quartet, including you, uh, today together because it's one of the best spend hours of my week at least for me uh, and it was amazing to share the room with you guys thank you so much thank you so much Christopher. thank you everybody for joining us this is the last performed panel from this uh, series please let us know in the comments how did you like them 
what did you enjoy most what was the key takeaway a fun fact anything it's going to be really really great for us uh, to hear from you and of course if you have read the book send us a note to let us know what you think if you haven't yet you can go and find it at theperformbook.com and soon uh, there's going to be something coming so stay tuned uh, join the private facebook group if you're not there yet and if you haven't got an invite post in the comments that you want to join and uh, we'll we'll get in touch with you even if you don't have an iphone you can join us it's not yes, that yes. <laughs> really, we don't make that kind of thing yeah. <laughs> post it in the comments we'll make sure to put you there guys uh, thank you andrew thank you louis thank you cristobal thank you so and, much uh, everybody have a, have a joyful day love it thank Ciao. you so much bye-bye Thank you guys for listening. And if you're looking for somebody to help you step up your team performers and boost your productivity, make sure to check out stoyanyankov.com for online workshop solutions and programs designed to help you go through the current situation in a smoother manner. Stay safe and keep moving forward.